Hi, friends, and welcome to Robcast number 17. And just a big shout out. I've met a number of you in the past couple of weeks. Pete Holmes and I have been out doing our two-man show, which is called Together at Last. And so a uh, big shout out to everybody I just met in Tampa and all of you who came out in Orlando and Salt Lake City and Tucson and Boulder and Seattle and Portland, all of you. I feel like I feel like I got all sorts of new brothers from other mothers and sisters from different misters. So uh, to all of you that I got to meet in the meet and greets afterwards, um, just so great to hear some of your stories and to meet you and to find out that you're all listening to these Robcasts. So this is number 17, and this one is called What to Do with the Waste. And uh, I've got a couple of stories that I want to tell you, and I want to ask this question, what to do with the waste? Uh, a couple things about last week's uh, Robcast, which was number 16, um, and I uh, took you through this 19-letter Greek word, Anna Kafeloisisthai, or however you want to pronounce it. A number of you made graphics and visuals of the word and put them on Instagram, so I, I reposted a bunch of those. So good. You are you are clever people. Um, and it made me laugh thinking about that word on a t-shirt because it's just so long, but it's sort of loaded with so much weight and mystery and significance. So if you want a shirt that has that word across the front, go to a teespring dot com backslash robcast 16 a n a teespring dot com backslash robcast 16 a n a and you can um, get your own anna cafe loisis thigh t-shirt because that's funny and weird and strange and uh, then of course send me pictures of you wearing your shirt and um, you know we'll just keep it going and speaking of keeping it going, I'm doing this event in June here in Southern California, and my friends, uh, well, Kristen's going to be speaking at it, and Vicki Beeching, and Pete Rollins, and Pete Holmes, and Carlton Cuse. I have a bunch of friends coming, and we're going to talk about growth. We're going to talk about what happens when you're changing and evolving and seeing things in a new way, and I want you to be inspired. I want you to find out that you're not alone. Um, I'm doing some new teachings I haven't done before, and I got thinking people should bring their friends to this. Um, this should have much more of like a tribal fire feel to it. So here's the deal. If you've already registered, you can bring a friend for free. So you're going to get an email. Just send us back the name of your friend for registration when you check in. Otherwise, um, for all of you who've already registered, how about you bring a friend for free? If you haven't registered yet, then um, we're going to cut the price in half so that you can come with a friend. Sound like a plan? Yes, that's what I thought. So that's coming in June. Would love to see you there. But today, what to do with the waste. Here's why I've called um, this Robcast what to do with the waste. Have you ever given yourself to something and you didn't get the results you wanted? Maybe, uh, well, I mean, maybe you were married to someone and it didn't work out and you parted ways, and it broke your heart, you got divorced, and you find yourself wondering, what about those three years, those seven years, those 22 years? What do I, how do I think about it? It feels like it's just a whole chunk of my life. Or maybe you started a business and invested a bunch of money, and then it all, uh, it all sort of went south on you. 
and you have this feeling like that was like three years of hard work and I have nothing to show for it. Or maybe you uh, got educated in something because you were told if you get this degree, there will be lots of well-paying jobs. And so you did it. You put in the hours and you studied and you got the degree and then you found out that the job market isn't like you were taught and uh, like you were told. And so you're like, what do I do with that? And maybe now you're working in some area that has nothing to do with what you'd like to be working in. Like, how do, how do I think about those things that I've given myself to that just feel like, did I waste my time? Did I waste my money? Did I waste my energy? Or maybe, uh, maybe it's parenting. Maybe you have a kid who wants nothing to do with you or seems to have turned their back on everything that you value. And there's this thing, if, are you with me? There's this thing that kicks in, this sort of all that effort, all those hours, all that money, and, it, and I got nothing to show for it. It's like it's gone, no results. There is that haunting question that we sometimes ask, did I waste my time? What do I do with what appears to be waste? Like, how do I think about the lost years, the lost money, the lost opportunity, that relationship that just drained everything from me, and now what do I have to, it didn't last, did I just, are those years just gone? It's almost like it's water just slipping through your fingers. So in this podcast, I want to talk about what to do with the waste, and I want to do it by looking at two stories from the scriptures. And I want to ask the question, is there some other way to think about this? that might help us. And my hope and prayer is that if you're, you have some of those questions that uh, you'll get some very straightforward, practical, new ways to think and act uh, and, and process what you've been through. And then let me say this before we uh, jump into these two stories from the scriptures. Um, maybe for you, the moment you're like, oh great, the Bible, are you kidding me? So first off, I understand the Bible to be a library of books that reflect evolving human consciousness. So the dominant question for me in reading the Bible is simply, why did people find these stories important? If you read the Bible in 2015 and you keep going, well, that's primitive, well, that's barbaric, well, that's, yes, it was written a long time ago. The scriptures reveal expanding, growing human consciousness. It's people waking up just like you and I are doing. Do you think exactly like you did five years ago? Do you think exactly like you did 15 years ago? If we were to play a recording of you sharing your world perspective from four years ago, are there things in it where you'd say, well, I don't really see things like that anymore? Of course you'd say that. So the power of the scriptures to me is they are glimpses of what it looks like when people are opening up, when they're growing, when they're having experiences of the divine that are changing them. So there's a slight explanation <laughs> disclaimer just before we get into it. So I'm going to take you to an Old Testament story involving King David, and King David is like the Elvis of the Old Testament. He's uh, Sometimes people sort of portray that King David is like this sort of romantic. He has a, he's a man after God's own heart, which is a line from the New Testament. Okay. He's also totally Game of Thrones. Are you with me? He is a serious schemer. This is a ruthless, conniving, politically astute. He has this extraordinary, passionate charisma. He is filled with all sorts of love and he's impulsive and he dances 
till his clothes fall off. He's also house of cards all the way, baby. You know what I'm talking about, right? This guy knows how it works and he is gaming the system. So he's brave and fearless and he's like this devoted sort of follower of God. He also knows how to use a sword. Are you with me? He's complex. Um, kind of like pretty much human beings. <laughs> Nevertheless, here's the story. David says in first, uh, this story is from Chronicles, which is like a recording of the life of King David. It says at that time, David was in the stronghold which basically means he's hiding out in a cave because it's wartime. And the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And then David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So it's a time of war. It's a time of stress. David is in a cave in a place called Agilum, which has become like a stronghold. It's a series of caves where he and his people are hiding out. And the enemy, the Philistines, have built an outpost, a garrison at Bethlehem. And it's at this time that David says, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Now, why is this interesting? Here's why it's interesting. Because David grew up in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd boy, the youngest of his family. He took care of the sheep around Bethlehem. There was a well in Bethlehem because towns were built around water supplies. And so David finds himself later in life with his back against the wall. He's on the run. It's wartime. Things aren't as simple as they used to be. And he says, oh man, I go for some of that water. What's he doing? He's longing for a more simple time. Oh, if I could just get some water from... Bethlehem. Now, what is Bethlehem for him? Bethlehem was when he was a boy. Bethlehem was when he was a simple shepherd. Bethlehem was when he could go get water with his flock. Have you ever had that longing for things to be more simple, to go back to how they were? Have you ever been doing your taxes and thinking, my word, I wish... I wish this was easier. I wish this was more. Remember when we didn't have any money in taxes? There wasn't that much to declare. Remember when the kids were younger and all those parenting decisions were just simpler? Remember when the business didn't have all of these personalities and history and sort of ghosts haunting the place? Like, ah, I could just go for some water from Bethlehem right now. He's got people who are looking to him. He's got responsibility. He's got pressure. He's got people who are expecting him to deliver. He's under the gun. It's really, really tense and stressful. And what does he say in that moment? He says, oh, I could just go for some water in Bethlehem. Ever had that sense? Yeah, you know exactly that longing. Oh, if things could just go back to an earlier time when it wasn't so complicated. So the story continues. So he has these mighty men. He has like these, you know, colleagues, associates. He has like his partners. He has like his wingmen. So the three, and the three was a name for three of his most loyal confidants. So the three broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. So David, probably in a moment of just wistful longing, like, man, I wish things were simpler. I could just go for some water from Bethlehem right now. Three of his closest like warriors take him seriously. Some estimates have it at, it would, be, it would have been an 11-mile hike. 
from where they were at the cave at Agilum um, to the gate at Bethlehem, to the water source. But uh, three of his most trusted men take him seriously, and they break through the enemy lines, they get him water from his childhood water source, and they bring him back the water. The scripture continues, but David refused to drink the water. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. And then he says, God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? Because they risked their lives to bring the water back, David would not drink it. (laughs) Okay, is that the weirdest story ever? David is on the run with his men. They're in this group of caves. He's longing for how things used to be. He says, man, I could go for some water from Bethlehem right now. A group of his men say, oh, okay. They hike, who knows, some estimates 11, some estimates 14 miles. They hike a long ways. They risk their lives. They break through the enemy lines into the center of the enemy stronghold. They get the water. They hike all the way back. They present the water to him. And he says, God forbid that I should drink this water. And he pours it on the ground. First off, if you're one of his dudes, are you like, are you kidding me? Are you, are are you, did I, I risked my life for this water and he pours it on the ground? Are you kidding me? Imagine if you're watching this scene unfold. You're like, David, this is not how you build an army. This is not how you build loyalty. Like, do you think those guys are ever going to do another thing for you again? But as we know from the scriptures, there's always something else going on. These writers are very clever. And notice the little detail. Let me read that again. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. And the Lord there is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D. It's essentially an, uh, an English transliteration of the word Yahweh. And Yahweh was a, was a particular understanding of the divine at that time, uh, a divine being who's active in the world, saving and liberating and rescuing people. So, what the storyteller says, he doesn't just pour it on the ground, he pours it out to God. Now, here's why this is interesting. Because when he does this, there is cultural background here. There is context here. For thousands of years, people have given offerings to their gods. And in the ancient Near East, there were all sorts of different kinds of offerings that people would give to their gods as a reflection of their awareness that life is a gift and it comes from somewhere. And so in the Hebrew scriptures, starting early on, the first recording of somebody pouring something out, there was something called a drink offering. We see it in Genesis, we see it in Exodus, we see it in Leviticus. Throughout the Bible, especially in the early parts, part of religious life was doing what's called a drink offering to God. It was a religious ritual. Why? Well, food is central to life, correct? Food is central to us and our sustenance and us being able to live. And so for thousands of years, people have acknowledged that the gift of food is a holy, sacred thing. And that it is, food is a gift because all of life is a gift. And so in different cultures at different times, you see rituals and practices, religious rites, 
that are built around this practice of gratitude. Gratitude is good for the heart. Gratitude keeps your soul alive. And so what you would do, and there was one specific practice where you would come to the altar, to the temple area, and then you would pour out like wine as a way of saying to the divine being, I acknowledge that life is a gift. I acknowledge that wine and food is a gift. I acknowledge that breath is a gift. Family is a gift. It's all a gift. And I acknowledge as a way of doing this, as a way of acknowledging my gratitude, I pour out this wine in a religious act. I do a drink offering as a way of opening up my heart and saying, I understand that I'm a recipient of a gift. So, when David's, and picture his military men, picture them, they're hot, they're dusty, they're soldiers. They do what their leader tells them to do. They're just doing what you do if that's your job. They bust through the enemy lines, they bring back the water. There, you got your water, you were thirsty. David turns their act into a sacred offering. He treats their efforts as a holy, sacred act. They risk their lives, and it's the risking of their lives. It's how much was at stake and how much cost it was. Let's slow down there for a second, my friends. The cost is so high that David says, there's no way I deserve that kind of cost. Only the divine deserves that kind of cost. See, for David, and this is where things get a little sort of upside down, so hang with me here. For David, the sacrifice makes it sacred. The cost, the sweat, the pain, the risk, the heartache, the possible loss makes it holy. The sacrifice makes it sacred. The cost, the sweat, the pain, the risk, the untold hours, the effort make it holy. He sees their act in a completely different way. Now, this is a long time ago. Some of these rituals and rites and stuff, you might be like, well, I can't relate to that. But at its core, what he's doing is he's saying, now that is something else. What you just did there, that's not just an everyday act. That is a sacred, holy thing you did. And he offers their risk up to God. Now, let's pause there. Let me take you to another story. And let's look and see if there's any connections between these stories because then things start, from my perspective, they start to get pretty interesting. Matthew 26 Jesus is in a town called Bethany, and he's at, a, he's at the home of a man named Simon the leper, which is kind of a bummer for a name, Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as, they, as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. Picture perfume, picture incredibly expensive perfume. Picture it dripping all over his clothes, his hair, picturing it on the ground, picturing it getting mixed with the dust on the ground. You can't pick it up, you can't reclaim it, it's just lost. The disciples then say, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. 
Aware of this, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but which is, by the way, a quote from the Hebrew scriptures, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And by the way, if right now I'm reading the story and telling it to you, then that's still happening, huh? Now, when he says this, he says, she has prepared me for burial. He says, what she has done is beautiful. Wait, 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 wait. From their perspective, she comes in, she breaks this really expensive perfume, and now it's at great cost, it's lost, it's wasted. Their question is even, why this waste? And what does Jesus do? He sees this story in a totally different way. He anacaphalastestoys it. Oh, yeah, call back to last week. He retells it. He reframes it. He says, no, 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 no. This is not a story of waste and loss. This is something beautiful she's done. And then when he says she's prepared my body for burial, well, that, according to first century Jewish custom, there were religious rituals and rites surrounding burial, and he's making a reference there to his coming crucifixion. But what he does again as he says, this may have looked to you like just a common act. Oh no, this is a sacred, holy thing she's done. It's not waste, it's beautiful. Now, what do we do with these two stories? Because in the one story, what David says is, uh, David essentially says the sacrifice makes it sacred. And then what you see echoes of this in Jesus going, no, 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 it's not waste, all that cost, all the sacrifice of that loss. No, no, no. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a sacred, holy thing she's done. It ought to be honored. You ought to treat it with great awe and respect. The, it's the cost and the loss. And stay with me here, friends. It's the loss. It's the cost. It's that dull thud in your heart of just how much it took out of you and the question it raises, did I waste my time? It's the depth of your question about it. It's the ache of, have I just lost all of that? That's what makes it sacred and holy. Now, I don't know what your beliefs are about God, the divine, all that. You may be thinking, I can't believe there's a, I got it, I'm with you, okay? So, wherever you're coming from with all the religious God sort of stuff, you are a spiritual being. Deschardin, the great Deschardin said, we are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. You are a sacred, holy spiritual. You are a spiritual life. And what you do with your energies, what you do with your passion, what you do with your day is a sacred, holy question. So when you give yourself to something, when you give yourself to somebody and you've poured yourself into them, you poured money into that business. You did all the classes and you got that degree and now you're wondering what if. Your life, think of your life like 
a sacred offering. You give yourself to it. These questions, these questions about what about those three years? What about that 11-year marriage? What about all that money that's gone? They're too heavy to bear. They're too heavy. So the power at a deeply just thinking about how human beings operate, perhaps you're carrying around some of those questions, they're too heavy to bear. The things I've done that just didn't work, the countless hours that I worked on a project and it just didn't go anywhere, the people that I gave so much to who then just turned and walked away. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody and you gave so much and then they just turned and walked out the door? Those questions are too heavy to bear. That's why what you do with the waste, you offer it up. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to think you believe very many things. You don't have to be a part of a church. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't, don't have to be a Christian. I'm talking about the human experience of offering something up, of simply turning it over, because some things are too heavy to bear. Think about uh, AA or any of the, anything in the recovery movement. What's the first thing that happens? The first thing you do is you admit your powerlessness. You come in and you offer it up. You surrender it. You own up to your weakness. And the problem for many of us is we have questions that we can't answer and we carry them around and they weigh us down. When you offer it up, what you are doing at a deep level of the soul is you are simply saying, I can't carry this around any longer. The power of the sacred holy act of offering it up is you surrender it and you hand it over. Now this, of course, is the, is the great power in having, and which is why recovery begins when you acknowledge a, a, a higher power. And whatever that looks like for you, that's why this is so effective, is there is power in acknowledging that you are not the center of the universe. There is extraordinary nuclear power in the simple idea that you don't have to bear the weight of the universe. Are you with me? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Surrender is such an extraordinary act because it liberates you and it frees you from having to play God, which you're not very good at anyway. I'm speaking on behalf of your friends and family. You're not very good at it anyway. And when you do this, now here's a prayer that you can say, and I have said this often, and here's the prayer. Get ready to write it down because it's a really complicated one. Quote, the word here, period, end of quote. Here, H. E-R-E, here. And by here, I mean sometimes all I have is the energy when I'm offering it up, when I'm offering up those hours, when I'm offering up that money, when I'm offering up that sacrifice, when I'm offering up that cost, when that person has broken my heart and I don't know how to reconcile how much I gave them and how it feels like it was wasted. I just hear. And if you're not the praying sort, try it. And the here is what happens when you have something in your hands and you can't carry it anymore and you just say here and you hand it over to someone. It's a short, terse, it's what you say when you're exhausted and tired. You just say here. It's, it's like when you hand something to somebody that's just too heavy to carry and you've gone too many miles with it and you just say here, please carry it for me. We cannot control outcomes. You cannot control 
ultimately how people are going to respond to you and your work in the world. They may love you, they may hate you, they may shrug their shoulders in indifference. You may get the results that you wanted. You may not get the results that you wanted. You may be in a like a liminal space for the next 25 years about something where it never really seems to be successful. It never really truly fails. It just slowly crushes you with it can't make up its mind what it is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That thing just sort of limps along and it was supposed to be this and it's not. Part of spiritual maturity is coming to face the fact that you cannot control certain outcomes. There are certain things you can control and certain things you can't. You say a prayer, you offer it up. You say, here are those 17 years. I'm tired of wondering if I wasted my time. And when you offer it up, what you are doing is you are acknowledging the sacred, holy act that it was. You gave that person your best. That's all you can do. You spent that money because it, from at the time, it seemed like the best thing to do. And when you do that, when you offer it up, what you're acknowledging is that the sacrifice makes it sacred. You are a spiritual being. And how you spend your energies in life, what you do, the decisions you make, the people that you love, this is all part of you working out your life. And so if you're carrying something around thinking, I don't know what it is or how to call it or how to label it or what it was, just offer it up. I gave what I could at the time. I did my best. It looked like it was the next right thing to do, so I did it. And my brothers and sisters, the sacrifice makes it sacred. The cost makes it a holy act. Sometimes you gotta, I call it ritualize it. Sometimes you have to do a little ceremony for yourself. Sometimes uh, maybe you're a parent and you need to turn that kid over. You need to surrender that kid. You need to say, you need to say a prayer. I have carried this kid and given this kid everything and now this kid is breaking my heart. And you, literally, I've met with parents who we, I just had to say to them, how about right now we turn that kid over to God? And I don't even know whether you believe God or not. Let's turn that kid over to something greater than yourself because you're clutching, you're gripping, you're trying to answer questions that can't be answered. You're trying to somehow pressure and control this situation when that kid is a human being who has a heart and a will of her own and she is now going to live her life as she sees fit. There's an element in which you do not have control here, so you offer her up. And in that moment, all the heartache becomes a sacred act of worship. Are there any parents here you have been losing sleep, you have been controlling, you have been acting in ways that you know are pushing your kid even farther away, and you need to turn that kid over. The sacrifice makes it sacred. All your years of faithful parenting were a holy act. Acknowledge it as such. It was a beautiful thing, and you're still their parent, but you have to offer it up. It's too heavy otherwise. Is there anybody, your business, your work, your education, it's stressing you, it's weighing on you, it's crushing you, it's like you've got your, you're white knuckling it. You're gripping it so tightly that your knuckles are turning white and it's robbing you of the joy of life. And so you gotta open up those palms and you gotta offer it up and you gotta say the sacrifice makes it sacred. 
What Jesus does in the story is he takes that waste. And by the way, I love the image of the woman breaking the perfume and all those little droplets falling on, I assume, a dusty floor where you can't get them back. Ever felt like that? Like there are all these very expensive drops. Maybe it's your own sweat. Maybe it's your blood. And they're on the floor all around you and you can't pick them up and clean them up. They're gone. They're just staining the floor now. Maybe that's an image that works for you. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. It's not waste. What she did was beautiful. Is there anything you've given yourself to and it f- you feel like you failed? Is there anybody you have loved and the relationship has ended? And for you, it's a giant, ugly blot. And right now, what you do is you need to picture Jesus watching it and going, no, what you did is, was beautiful. What you did was a holy, sacred act. It's interesting that a number of New Testament writers pick up on the image of a drink offering and say, I am being poured out like a drink offering. They took this idea of a drink offering and connected it with themselves, especially the Apostle Paul. And he spoke of his sufferings and him giving himself to his work in the world as being like pouring yourself out as a drink offering. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. You are pouring yourself out and it's brutal and difficult and heartbreaking. The sacrifice, my friends, makes it sacred. The cost renders it holy. It is an act of worship. That thing, that thing that you're carrying around, those questions that you are asking, you don't have to carry that burden around. You offer it up. When I say like ritualize it, bury something, set something on fire, make a ritual, make a ceremony, turn that kid over, call somebody and set them free. Sometimes what we need is an act. We need a ceremony. We need, we need a ritual. We need to do something to free ourselves from that question that plays like a tape loop. Why this waste? Why that waste? Why that waste? Why that waste? Why that loss? Why that heartbreak? Why that divorce? Why that bankruptcy? Why that? Sometimes you need a ritual just to say, I'm not going to keep asking that question. I'm going to do this thing here now. Maybe you gather some friends around you and you say, this thing has been haunting me. It's been following me everywhere I go. It like keeps me awake at night and I need you to help me come up with some way to symbolically, sacramentally offer those years, that money, that child, that effort, that love, to offer it up as the sacred holy act that it was. You are a spiritual being. And your life and what you give yourself to is a sacred, holy act. And the sacrifice makes it sacred. May you come to see your life in a much more sacred, holy way. May you stop carrying around those questions that are too heavy to bear about what was the point of that and why didn't that get results and why won't this kid do what we taught them to do and why can't that thing be more successful than it was than it, than it is 
May you stop asking those questions as you offer it all up as the messy, bloody, confusing, glorious, sacred, holy, euphoric gift that is your life. And may you experience grace and peace.